we'd be here tonight. So I'm glad I'm able to come and worship with like-minded people. I know I said that when I come here, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, if you ever go somewhere to preach and they're not like-minded, it is a terrible place to be. Yeah. And so I'm thankful that God still has good churches. Thankful for Northside Baptist. Enjoyed all the good singing tonight. Enjoyed the, the special singing and, uh, and the choir singing and everything. And uh, like he said, to my Aunt Brenda's here. And I'm uh, glad to have her. And Daryl. With us tonight, and uh, uh, thank you for making him feel welcome. But I do have a message tonight, and uh, pray the Lord helps us with this, and I know He will. His word will not be returned void. And so, uh, if you have your copy of God's word, you turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 tonight, Lord willing. Hebrews chapter 12, and when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hebrews chapter 12, start with verse 1. And here the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, uh, let us lay aside every way, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for reading your word tonight. Lord, thank you for the good spirit that we can feel here tonight in the freedom to be able to preach from your word. God, I'm asking now that you keep me hidden. Lord, may you be seen. Lord, may you go into a mighty work in the hearts of those that are listening tonight. And God, we, we pray that you receive any praise and glory for this message. Lord, for we trust in you and you alone. God, help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Seated. Well, in our opening text, the Hebrew writer, whom I personally believe to be the Apostle Paul, is talking about a race. Now, believe it or not, I know you can't tell it now, but I used to be able to run and run fast. Because uh, I used to run from cows over in, in Papadopoulos. <laughs> cow pasture. But uh, now I, I wouldn't put myself up for a race, but... This race that the Hebrew writers talk about is the race of life that's been set before us. Now we know back in that day, those Roman games, the Greek games, they were very popular at the time. And a lot of Paul's writings are centered on that type of uh, uh, the, the terminology he uses, like racing and the run and uh, the prize and all these things. Uh, and I believe that's where his mind was at during this. And it was uh, a kind of a visual for them to get. This race of life is similar to a, a real foot race to where you need to prepare yourself and, and do what's needed to be able to finish this race. Well, uh, this race is set before all of us. Everybody has a race to run. Uh, some, you, it looks like they don't ever want to run their race. And that's fine. But others want to run their race. They want to run it the right way. I pray that we can run the race that God would have us run and be pleasing to Him while we're running. Right. Now, sometimes in this race for the good, it is a struggle. We all struggle with things. We're flesh, just like we spoke about this morning. It's this flesh, a lot of times, that, that causes us problems. But one of the things that keeps us struggling is when we allow sin in our lives, which clouds our vision. Now, I've titled the message tonight, Besetting Sins Cloud Our Vision. Besetting Sins Cloud Our Vision. Uh, it wasn't too awful long ago, I was having to go to work. Uh, I have to work two days in the office a week. And 
drive all the way out to Hardin Valley. It takes me an hour to get there, and usually an hour to get back. But uh, on one of those days, I got up and it had been raining. It had kind of quit raining, but there was still like that, that mist kind of in, in the air, and just enough to keep the windshield wet. And so I get in the car, and I'm going down the road, and I turn the windshield wipers on, and, and they're going, and lo and behold, I parked beneath a, uh, a maple tree. Now, you know those big maple seeds back in court that we call those whirly jigs or whirly records. <laughs> you throw them up there, and they you know, go like that, and we used to love to play with those. But one of those things had found its way down in underneath my windshield wiper. So I'm going down Washington Pike, and I've got quite a ways to go, and I turn those wipers on, and they're going like this, and everything else is clear except for right where I need to see. There's a streak the, the size of a maple leaf all the way across the windshield. And so I'm driving down through there, and I'm trying to see over it, and I'm looking under it, and I'm contemplating putting my head out the window and everything else. I get the wiper fluid, and I'm washing, thinking I'm going to wash this thing out of there. You know, the whole time I'm driving, doing this. And, and I get the wipers, I put them on as fast as they'll go, and then I put them as slow as they go, and I'm like, I'm going to knock this thing out of there. And then I thought, I know, I'll just go as fast as I can, and blow it out, so I'm going 70 miles an hour, and I'm washing the bike, you know, and the thing's still in there, and I can't see. And so finally, eight miles later, I stop at the Wiggles, and I get out of the car, and I walk around, and I pick up the windshield wiper, and I pull that maple seat out, throw it up there, and wash it flurry. And, and, and then I got back in the car, turned them on, not a streak, nothing. It just cleared it right up. Well, as I was going through all that, the Lord spoke to me. He said, you know what? That's just like sin. It's just like sin. When sin gets in your life, it works its way down into the wedges of your life, down into your heart. It gets in the way and clouds your vision. It causes you not to be able to see the way that you need to see. That's right. And so what do we do? We try to get around that sin. We try to get over that sin, under that sin, or you know, do all these things. But we still want the sin to remain in our life, but we know we don't need to. But yet we do everything in our power to try to keep it there and go around it and, and keep it, you know, kind of in, in the presence. Well, as long as we're doing that, we're, we're not seeing clear. Right. It's just like that windshield. You can't see the right way, and it's just messing you up everywhere you go. Now, it's not until you realize the only way that you're going to be able to see clearly and walk the walk that you need to walk is if you get rid of that sin in your life. You've got to get that distraction out of the way, that thing that's hindering you, that sin that so easily besets us. You have that sin. I have that sin. We all have a sin that so easily besets us. Some of us have more than just one of these easily besetting sins. In our opening text, the Hebrew writer, in verse uh, 1, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That word beset is a military term. It's used five times in the Old Testament and only once here in the New Testament in our text. And what it means is to surround, to enclose, to hem in. I like that word, hem in. Uh, we use that a lot, a lot where I'm from. Hem in something. Uh, to hem in, to besiege, to press on all sides so as to perplex, perplex, to entangle so as to render escape difficult or impossible. And so the Bible's telling us here that we have sin which does so easily beset us. It's trying to take over. It's our enemy. It's the thing that's making escape difficult because we love it so much. We enjoy it so much. That's why it besets us. 
It puts us back to be put back somewhere. So it's like an enemy that surrounds you, making it seem impossible to escape. Which is a perfect example of what sin does to us because sin is our enemy. Satan is our enemy. And he will do everything in his dead level best to get you to stumble, to get you to fall. If you're saved, he cannot touch your soul. That's right. Your soul is eternal. Amen. It's sealed up to the day of redemption, the Bible says. Yep. He can't touch your soul, but he can sure mess up your walk. And the way he will do that is he will entice you. He will uh, throw things out there that he knows will easily beset you. There's only been one sinless man in all of history, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. No, nobody else has ever been sinless. Amen. Every man and woman on the face of the earth has to deal with sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That word all in the Greek, you know what it means? All? <laughs> you don't got to run to the Greek to see what that word means. Our King James translators here told us it means all. Everybody. Everything. All! That's what it means. So that includes you and that includes me. And it's no mystery that each and every person has some sin in their life that causes them problems more than others. Some may have some more than one, like I said. But those are the sins that we seem to not be able to shake. You know what your besetting sin is. I know what mine is. I know what becomes habits in our lives, and we must deal with them on a daily basis. And every one of you sit there thinking, I wonder what his besetting sin is. And, and somebody else say, I wonder what her besetting sin is. And we're all sitting there thinking, what is their besetting sin? Maybe yours is uh, gossiping. Maybe, maybe yours is worrying too much about what other people's doing and thinking. Uh, but one of the problems with these besetting sins is that you usually can keep it hidden from everyone else. And you think as long as nobody else knows about it, as long as it's not harming anyone else, if it's only affecting you, then you'll just keep on doing it because God loves us and God's full of grace and mercy. And all God do is say, God, I'm sorry. And he'll just take me back in and say, oh, it's no problem. You're, you're forgiven. And so we think that uh, nobody knows and it's okay. Therefore, we think as long as we keep our besetting sin a secret to the world, there's no harm to continue keeping on doing it. And, uh, you know, there's a problem with that. If you look over the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he's writing about habitual sin. And in the chapters before this, Paul's explaining God's grace and forgiveness of sin. And he starts out like this in Romans 6 and verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, there were those there that thought, well, Paul, listen, buddy, if, if God, you know, it shows his grace when we sin because of his forgiveness. And everybody sees that. Well, look at that. God forgave that guy. And he's terrible. So should we just keep on sinning so that God can keep forgiveness? And people say, hey, wow, look how God does. Isn't that wonderful? And so Paul says, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? What does he say in verse 2? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also... In the likeness of his resurrection, 
we, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't sin or we can't sin, because we can and we will. But he says we, we are dead, uh, he that is dead is freed from sin. So the old man's dead. That old man has died. But what? We still have to battle with the old man. I'm sorry. Okay, if we stop there for a second, Paul's saying that just because God is merciful, just because he bestows grace upon us, that does not mean we are to continue living in sin to glorify him because it doesn't work that way. He explains that as Christians, we are to live a Christ-like life. Yes. A life. Now, if you remember back in, what was it, the 90s, uh, it was very popular what would Jesus do? And they sold millions upon millions of those little bracelets. I, I used to work at Panasonic over the forks of the river. I worked in a sound booth. I was a sound room technician. And speakers, automotive speakers came down the belt, and they came into this booth that I sat in for 10 hours, sometimes 12, and... I had this thing that I connected to the speaker, and I had a oscilloscope, and I whoosh, uh, did it like that, and that thing, a frequency counter, and it would squeal, that speaker would squeal, and I could listen for defects. I was sitting in there, and they would send people in from time to time to collect the, the ones that were bad. If they were bad, I would put them over in a pile, and somebody would come in and take those, they'd rework them. So I'm sitting in there one evening, I worked second shift, and I was doing speakers, we must have run hundreds of them, and I had a big pile, and, and I put on the light, and I said, somebody needs to come here and get some of these speakers out of here. They send this girl in, and uh, she's got on a WWJD bracelet. And I saw it. She reached out to the speakers, and said, hey, I said, that's pretty neat there, that uh, WWJD bracelet. She said, oh, thank you. My daughter got me this bracelet. And I just loved it. And I said, you know what that means? She said, well, no, but I really like the bracelet. And I said, well, let me tell you what that means. And so I told her about Jesus. I said, that means what would Jesus do? And in whatever situation you're in, you think to yourself, well, what would Jesus do in this particular situation? Now, that fad kind of went away. You don't see that anymore. But that just goes to show us that not everybody understands the things of God and that they have there. But as Christians, we're to model ourselves like Christ. And while I may not, you know, agree with all the advertising and marketing and all the money that's made off of that stuff, Still, a Christian ought to be thinking, what would Jesus do in this situation? Yep. And we, uh, Paul says that Christians are not to be servants of sin. We died with Christ and we're freed from all of that. Keep looking at verses uh, 8 through 11, Romans 6, verses 8 through 11. He goes on to say, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Mm -hmm. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. So here he's explaining that Christ died once for our sins, and our sins died with him. Yep. Now these people that, that believe that you can lose your salvation, what does that say? The Bible here says he died once for sin. He's not going to die again for sin. He's not going to have to go and hang back on the cross and shed his blood again to forgive sins. He did it one time and one time only. And it was sufficient. Yep. He forgave sin. All past, present, and future sins can be forgiven from that blood that Jesus shed on that cross. Amen. He's not going to die for it again. And so 
Uh, Christ arose again, defeated death and sin, and now lives unto God. So we're to model ourselves after our role model, which is Christ. And so we do all that through Him. We don't do it through ourselves. It's not something that we we uh, uh, are able to get a book somewhere, uh, seven steps to this and 12 steps to that. Joel Osteen's not going to be able to tell you how to do this. All right, you've got to turn to God's Word for all the answers. And so we keep looking. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield to your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. Here he says it again. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? So what's he saying? Paul, he keeps pointing out that this master-servant relationship. We all know what that is. He says we're not to obey the lust of sin. We're not to allow ourselves to be instruments that are used for unrighteousness. Yeah. We're not to use ourselves that way. When you obey something or someone, it means you're subject unto them. That means you're their slave. If they're coming around and telling you what to do and you're doing it, you're their slave and they are your master. Right. And Paul is saying here, is sin going to be your master? Are you a slave to sin? Are you going to keep doing everything that sin tells you to do? Because you're a slave to it. And so... Uh, Whoever or whatever you're obeying is your master. You're the slave. You're an instrument to be used by them to fulfill their desires. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 16 again. Verse 16, the first, first part says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey? And so when we allow this besetting sin, that one that you can't seem to escape from, when we allow it to continue... We have let ourselves become a slave to it. And so every day we've got to think about that sin. We've got to try to avoid that sin. Or we're trying to find ways that we can indulge in that sin because we love it so much. Our besetting sin has become our master. And we have yielded ourselves to our sin instead of Christ. And Paul says that's not how it works. If you're saying... You don't yield yourself to sin. You yield yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And so he goes on again. Romans 6, 17 through 23. I'm taking y'all away from Romans chapter 6. <laughs> he says, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. You see that? You were the servants of sin. But now that you've been saved, you're no longer a servant of sin. Y'all yeah. not be. Y'all not be. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you been in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is making the case right here that as a Christian, we're no longer to be the servant to sin. Sin is no longer to be our master. We have a new master. His name is Jesus. Yep. We are to obey Him in all things. Of course, the problem for us is how do we do this? Yeah. Isn't that the problem? If we all have the same sins, then obviously something is wrong. We're not able to, to figure out how to fix it. Uh, we're going to be tempted all our lives. So how do we overcome it? Well, for that, we need to turn back our opening text back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses again. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, everyone is always trying to find an easy fix for everything. Brother Byron, I need some steps for you to tell me how to get over my besetting sin. I, if I can write those down and follow those steps, I think I can probably get a hold of them. Well, let me tell you something. Overcoming your besetting sin is not going to be something quick. It's not going to be something easy. There's not going to be a one, two, three, repeat after me that's going to just magically make that besetting sin disappear. It doesn't work that way. But it does not mean that we can't overcome it. First of all, to overcome our besetting sin, we need to admit that we have a problem. One of the biggest problems that I deal with as a, as a pastor when I'm talking to someone or witnessing someone is to get them to actually admit that they have a problem. To admit they're a sinner. To admit that they're lost. I mean, it's a tough thing sometimes to convince somebody that they're actually needing to be saved. <laughs> Uh, but we have to take responsibility for our problems, and we have to face it head on. Uh, in everyday life, whenever there's something that needs to be done, we are dreading, we put those things off, don't we? Mm. I know I do. If there's something at the house that needs to be done, last week I was dreading mowing that yard. I mean, it had rained so many days, I looked out, it was at least two feet tall by that time, and I just mowed it four days ago. And, and I said, I've got to mow that yard. And to mow my yard, I have to first, I've got to air up the front tire of the ride mower because it feels flat in between air mower. Then I've got to jump it off, usually with the, with the car or something to get the battery work. Sometimes I remember to put it on the trickle charger and it actually will start. I've got to put gas in it. I've got to check the oil. I've got to do all these things and the blades are, are bent. So I'm going to have to mow extra just to make up for the spots it misses. So I dread it. I mean, I dread it. I hate it. And so I will put it off, and I'll put it off, and I'll put it off. And the next thing you know, I'm out there looking in the knee-high grass. And so, you know, that's what we want to do with our sin. We want to hem-haul around and come up with excuses of why we aren't taking care of something. I just made every excuse in the book why I didn't want to mow. And I made them all off. All those things that I have to do to mow, they take about 10 minutes. Yeah, about 10 minutes out of my life. You know, but it takes about a year off my life. But... <laughs> We come up with these temporary fixes or workarounds. We want to put a band-aid on things until we're ready to tackle it. Well, we put some big band-aids on those besetting sins that we have. Yeah. So big that we think, you know what, I think that's going to hold. 
I think that's going to do it right there. I'm not going to have to worry about it much longer. And we've allowed it to blur our vision so much that we become nearly blind to our besetting sin. Now it's just part of our everyday life. It's part of our walk. Every day we're engaging in our besetting sin because we put like a temporary band-aid on it and it's kind of blurred our vision. And we've lost sight of the truth. I want to tell you it's time to pull the car over, get out, lift up the wiper blade, pull that maple leaf out there and throw it away and watch it flur away. And clear that thing up. It's time to do that in our lives. Okay. It's time to put that besetting sin behind us. Rip that band-aid off. I don't care much hair pulls out. Pull it off and, and get rid of it. And clear up that vision and see where your problem is. we got to admit we have a problem. Take responsibility for it and face it head on. Secondly, we've got to get rid of the temptation that's out there that causes us to desire that besetting sin. That thing that draws you. I don't know what it is. For me, it's a piece of fried chicken. When I see one there, it draws me. And I want to get to it. Then we're going to overeat. Then we're going to get fat and fatter and fatter. So that's one of mine. I just gave it out. You was wondering what it was. There you go. <laughs> the Hebrew writer says, let us lay aside every weight. Whatever it is that causes you to be drawn to your sin, it needs to be got rid of. He says to set it aside. He don't mean for later. He means to get rid of it. Get it out of your life. And you know, the NASCAR drivers, I used to be really wrapped up in NASCAR, but those guys will get that car down to the bare minimum weight. Anything extra on it comes out of there. That's why they don't have everything that a regular car has on. You know, they don't have glass in, in, the, in the windows and all that. They've got a, a net up there that, that kind of helps them, protects them a little bit. But they don't have all the things a regular car has. They take strip off everything legally that they can take off of it. Sometimes it's illegal and they get caught. But besides that, they strip those cars down and get rid of anything that will cause that car not to go fast. Yeah. Tony Stewart has the fastest one out there. Amen? Okay, so they strip off everything off those cars and then they weigh them. And then they're able to run the race. Well, we've got to do that with our besetting sin. Yeah. We've got to get that problem that draws us out of there. If you, if your besetting sin is that you like to drink, and then, and then it leads to you getting drunk and, and causing problems in your family, maybe it's causing you financial problems. Get the alcohol out of your house. Quit going to a bar. Quit going into a liquor store and buying it. Get it out. Quit hanging out with friends. They're drinking from you. Get it out of your life. If you're a drug addict, get away from your druggy friends. Quit going to the part of town where you're buying drugs at. Get anything out of your house that is there that's a drug. You can't have it in your life because it's causing you to sin. It's your besetting sin. So anything, let, let us lay aside every weight. If it's some kind of sexual deviation, get that garbage out of your life. If it's leading you to something, get off the internet if that's your problem. If you're going into a store and buying things, quit going in there. I don't know what your sin is, but get it out. Thirdly, we have to have patience. As I said, it's not an overnight thing. It's not a one, two, three, repeat after me. Sin is a lot like fat. You don't gain 50 pounds overnight. It took a long time to gain all this weight. When me and Mary was uh, first married, I probably weighed 185 or 90 pounds. I've doubled that since then. And so it wasn't overnight. You can't lose it instantly. You've got to be patient before you see results. 
And so overcoming our besetting sin is going to take patience. If you stumble, you've got to pick yourself back up. You've got to start all over. You've got to dust yourself off and try again. I'll go on a diet, and I'll say, I'll never eat bad again. Next thing you know, I've got a, a double whopper with cheese in my hands. Yeah. You know? And i got to start all over again. I've lost 30 pounds just this past year. Gained 10 back already. Yeah, i got to lose that back. got to go to the doctor. The doctor's going to say, what happened? You were doing so good. And I, I'll say, well, I'm just going to cancel my doctor's appointment. <laughs> and so we've got to start all over again when that same sin starts creeping back in. It keeps drawing you back in. We've got to start over. Fourth, and this is the most important of all these, we must rely upon Jesus Christ to take, take care of our besetting sin. The Hebrew writer says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that created you. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that keeps you. And he's the one that can get rid of that besetting sin out of your life. But first, you've got to go to him to do it. Quit going to the, finding the best-selling book on the, your besetting sin and trying to follow what some man said to do. It's not going to help. Yeah. You've got to follow what this man said to do. This man, Jesus. And so, it should go without saying, but I know there's a lot of people like me. If you're self-willed and self-sufficient, you hate to ask for help from anyone else. Sometimes it's difficult to admit you've got a problem and go, go elsewhere for help. Listen, you've got to put your pride out of the way. And that's all that is, is pride. I admit it's pride. I, I was raised that way. My, both my parents were proud people. They didn't ask people for help at all. We would rather die than ask somebody for help. And that got passed on to me. And that's just the way I am. Well, we've got to get our pride out and realize we can't do this on our own. We've got to turn to the only one that's able to help us. And that is Jesus. And you know what? He's ready and willing and able and waiting for you to come to him. That's right. He's got his arms outstretched and say, are you, are you going to give up yet? <laughs> You're about to give up? I'm standing here waiting on you. Get up. You can't do this. Quit. Quit. Just come to me. All you that are laboring, heavy laden, burdened, heavy laden, you know, come unto me. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. And so he's waiting for us to come to him. We've got good news. We're nothing but flesh and bone and prone to sin. But listen, Job says in Job 14, one man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Boy, isn't that the mm -hmm. truth? That's all we are. We're full of trouble. The only way we can overcome this besetting sin is by looking unto Jesus. He is there for us. He wants to help us. He wants us to live a life that's pleasing to Him. The Bible is very clear on that. Don't you think He wants to help us? So what about it tonight? If you've got a besetting sin that's clouding your vision, are you letting that thing just get you hemmed in somewhere? Are you letting that, that sin just kind of take a hold and you're working your way around it, trying to overcome it one way or the other, but yet it's always still there and it's always gnawing at you? Listen, we've got to admit we've got the problem. We've got to get rid of the temptation out there that's causing us to commit that besetting sin. We have to be patient about it and don't expect it to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. But most of all, we must rely on the Lord Jesus to do it for us, to help us with it. He expects, expects us to go to Him for this help, mm -hmm. casting all your care Amen. for He cares for you. Yeah. All right. Brother Scott, would you come tonight and get a song?
And uh, I'm sure this church, any church you've ever been to, you back to church, the altar is open for people to come. If you need to pray, if you want me to pray with you, if you, if you need to work things out tonight, would you come down and, and just turn it over to the Lord? And, uh, and I don't know what your problem is. I don't need to know. You don't have to tell me whatever it is. But uh, if there's something in your life that's causing you problems, causing that division to be blurred, let's get, get it to the care of it. Go ahead. Sorry, page 356.